Welcome back for another episode of the AFL-CMC Leadership Log Podcast. This week we had a chance to sit down with our new Vice Commander, Colonel C.B. Kane, for a discussion on his Air Force background and on his leadership philosophy and style. For you history buffs, during our discussion we learned that he flew a C-17 into Wright Pat and turned it over for display at the National Museum of the United States Air Force. So go check it out. Now let's hear from the Vice. Sir, I'd like to welcome you to Leadership Log, which is a podcast for the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center community on topics of interest. Great. And certainly today, meeting you, our new vice commander, is a, uh, an area of interest for our people. So uh, we want to say, first off, welcome to Air Force Lifecycle Management Center. Thank you. And can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you've been, what you've done? Sure. Well, it's an honor to be here and work alongside you. I'm from the Midwest originally, so I grew up in Illinois, uh, but I had family here in Ohio. So my grandparents were over in Marietta, and I actually have a great letter uh, to my great-grandfather who ran a bus service here in this town in Dayton from the mm-hmm. Wright Field Commander during World War II saying basically thanks for all the late night bus service to get people that were working on this base, probably in these same buildings, mm-hmm. uh, working 24 hours a day for the war effort during World War II. So that's where I'm from originally. I graduated high school in Illinois, went to the Air Force Academy went to graduate school at the University of Washington to keep studying, and ended up uh, getting into pilot training, flew the C-17 operationally out of Charleston, and then eventually made my way into the test business. So I did flight tests on the C-17, C-130, and I also ran tanker test programs. I was all at Edwards for, for a good number of years. Then went on to staff work, uh, Army War College, uh, spent some time at AFRL, uh, got to command at the 704th Test Group in Holloman, which was mm-hmm. a, a great privilege. And now I'm here to learn a lot about this great organization. You've done so much that, that I've seen from other directions, but never been inside of it. So happy to be here. So you say learning an organization, and that's a, the, the rite of passage for a new commander is to come in and get an immersion yeah. where you go around. And under, under normal circumstances, you'd probably be traveling to some of the other sites within sure. uh, AFL-CMC. So, uh, but these aren't normal times anymore. So tell us, how is your immersion going? How are you uh, making your rounds and meeting the people, learning about the things that this center does? Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely a challenge during COVID, right? We're not traveling physically, um, but I'm actually finding I'm able to get to a lot of places virtually. So uh, I've certainly been spending a lot of time talking to people here at Wright-Patterson, uh, immersions with all the offices and getting to meet uh, uh, my counterparts in the program execution directorates and our functional directorates. Mm-hmm. I've talked to the commander out at, uh, at uh, Hanscom at the 66th and already over here at the 88th. So we're not traveling physically, we're traveling virtually, but in some cases I can cover more ground more quickly. But you gotta spend time doing that, right? It mm-hmm. takes focused effort to, to build those relationships, to learn from people. Um, I've been doing it in small groups here on site with just a couple of people to, to make sure we don't have too many people in one place at one time. Uh, but th- I think we're able to be effective. Uh, you do have to be proactive about it, and it doesn't just happen naturally as it might if you were all meeting with you- each other in person. Mm-hmm. So a challenge, but we're, we're getting there. And I'm not the only one. Commanders all over the Air Force and people all over the Air Force moving at the same time are facing the same, the same challenge. Uh, it was probably easier starting in that COVID or being a sitting commander in a COVID environment because you knew everybody, you knew your mm-hmm. team, you knew the processes and kind of how things worked, and you were just able to take care of that team that way. But here it's it's starting new is a, it's a little more difficult, so you have to be intentional about it. But you can do it. So I know that you've had assignments in AFMC before, certainly in the test community you've been, and in AFRL you mentioned earlier up with the uh, the 7-Eleventh, I think. Yeah. Um, 
but this looks to be your first assignment in the acquisition world. So just wanted to see what you think and what your perspective of the acquisition community was before coming into it. Well, so I, I did intersect with programs all the time on the, on the test side of things. I'll tell you, I've been extremely impressed by the people I've met here. Uh, dedicated, talented, and, and just in a wealth of experience, right? You can walk through this building and other buildings and other parts of the center and find people that have been part of every major acquisition over the last two, sometimes three, sometimes four decades. It's, right. it's incredible. So I've been uh, immediately impressed by that professionalism, and it, and it shows. Uh, it's a challenging environment, though, right? You have many competing interests. You have a uh, changing world environment, the national defense strategy, and things that we were maybe just getting good at we're now changing directions on. So that's the, that's the challenge. Resources are always constrained. Uh, people are always constrained. And on top of that, we're doing it remotely in some cases. So I think, uh, uh, I think we're doing all right. So I'm impressed to see this team in action. I've uh, been impressed over the years working with a variety of program offices. And I've been the benefactor myself of flying the C-17 operationally of, of new equipment and upgrades over the years to see how the system works. And mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty impressive. Proud to be part of it. So I'm always interested, we've been talking a lot within the center about career planning lately, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that primarily affects our academic workforce, but just wanted to know, from your perspective, did, uh, did Second Lieutenant Kane see himself one day as being a colonel and a vice commander of this center? Um, did, you, uh, did you have s mentors and supervisors that kind of uh, helped guide you along the way, or? told you times when to take the right educational courses or maybe to try a job that was out of your normal lane? Yeah, so no, sec Second Lieutenant Kane never never thought there'd be a Colonel Kane and didn't even know that what LCMC was, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you often, I think of our junior airmen, both military and civilian, you don't know what opportunities are out there. Um, so it's maybe hard to have a, a defined step-by-step step career path for your first 20 years of service. I, I don't think that's maybe the right way to go. I think you should first focus on doing the best at where you are right now, uh, but then also think about your interest. What am I, what am I interested in? What am I good at? Uh, how can I serve? And then maybe let the people you work with or work for maybe, maybe know some of that stuff. Uh, because I think in the Air Force, we want to match people, right? We want to match talents to uh, meet what the Air Force needs to what people need in their personal lives. We need to find that optimum match as much as we can. We can't mm -hmm. do it all the time but we need to find it. We don't know what we don't know. Right. Uh, and so I think that communication is important as anything else. So if you were thinking about developmental plans or discussing uh, career intentions, just have that as a conversation. Mm -hmm. Maybe think a few years out. I wouldn't think 10 years out or 20 years out other than maybe general, hey, I'm, I, I think I want to get a master's degree or I want right. to do this or I want to do that. Uh, but to have, a, I think, your career step lined up and planned for 20 years, is you're probably just going to end up doing something different. There's no standard career path, and I think we all meander and find different directions. As far as, uh, as what got me here, I'll tell you, I remember uh, as a younger, you know, probably a young teenager, uh, going to the Air Force Museum right over the way, and probably looking this way. In fact, I ran across some old pictures, and I'm standing in front of a, a XB-70, I think, and then you, mm -hmm. see, you see the LCMC buildings in the background. Right. Uh, and so you never quite know what is gonna uh, inspire somebody younger, whether it's an experience like that, or uh, in college, one of my uh, professors taught a test, uh, a flight test course. Mm -hmm. And later on, I ran into him when I was uh, in Washington, D.C., and he said, you should really apply for that test pilot school. 
And I never really thought I was competitive. I was always interested, right, because it merges engineering, which is what my background is, and, and flying, which is what, I, what I've done as well. Uh, but you never quite know how you might stack up for something like that. And he said, why don't you give it a shot? And I did, and it, it set the course of you know, the next uh, 12 years of my life in a way I could never have planned for if mm -hmm. I hadn't run into that person and made that connection. So for, from both directions, from the, the junior workforce to our younger airmen, talk to your, talk to your supervisors, talk to your commanders, uh, let them know what you think. Um, maybe they can put those opportunities in front of you. And for our uh, supervisors and maybe more seasoned leaders, don't be afraid to, to share what's out there, right? And maybe you might put somebody on a path that they never could have uh, expected for themselves. That's what I've seen in my life, and I think that's been okay. You know, that's been a common comment uh, amongst a lot of senior leaders that I've spoken to that it's somewhere along the line in their career, someone had faith in them mm -hmm. and pushed them to take a, take a chance that they might not have otherwise done. Yeah, that's exactly um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. so you never know when you're going to be that person uh, for somebody else. So don't hesitate. That's yeah. what I'd say. Uh, sir, so going on to the whole idea of, of leadership, uh, you came up in the flying community. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see. Do you think there's a difference in leading in a, in a, in a flying unit? It, is the philosophy different than it is in a, say, amongst a, an organization that's primarily professional, working in offices, and, mm -hmm. as LCMC does? Uh, is, there a, is there a difference, or is leadership the same wherever it is? I, I think it's generally the same, I think, sometimes in the flying community. And my, my background was in uh, transport aircraft. It's very hard to micromanage uh, an air crew that's out over the ocean uh, and mm -hmm. it's out on a two or three week long trip, right? You need to train them, you need to equip them, you provide them with your intent, and then you need to trust that and trust the decisions of that aircraft commander and that crew. And that's the same in other uh, communities. So I think if you follow those type of, uh, that type of philosophy, right? Train and equip, and then you provide commander's intent, and then you delegate and get out of the way, right? They're gonna surprise you. Mm -hmm. Now along the way, you need to be ready to accept the inevitable mistakes that happen. But I think what you find is uh, more often than not, you're going to be surprised than you're going to be disappointed. And that the cost of those inevitable mistakes is worth it. Because all the rest of the time, they far exceeded what you could have told them to do. So that's what I've found. I've, uh, I think that philosophy is true in the aircraft. I think it's true in deployed combat situations. I think it's true here on a staff or in a program office or anywhere else, right? Uh, trust, delegate, uh, accept when things don't go quite right, and then learn from it and move on. Mm -hmm. And so that applies here as much as anywhere else. In some cases, it's just you have to resist the temptation to step in when you see people, your team's working in an office environment where you might think you have the answer and you might want to tell them what that is. Uh, that's where I take discipline as a leader to, to let them work it out because it'll be a better answer and probably more resilient uh, with a greater shared vision if you let them do it. Yeah. Because you're right there, it's easy to step in. Don't step mm -hmm. back and you'll be surprised at the result in a good way. So uh, I always mention that uh, the best flyover I've ever seen was at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, mm -hmm. and it was a C-17, yeah. and it came in nice and low, and, and I think it was especially impressive because that's a big airplane, and it really seems mm -hmm. like it's moving fast. Yep. Uh, so I wanted to see, can you tell us some of your favorite memories flying the C-17? Sure. Um, and, and understanding that this is an aircraft that was developed here at this center. It absolutely was. So I'll tell you, the C-17 is an incredibly performing aircraft. So high uh, pressure hydraulic lines, giant control surfaces, powerful engines. It, it flies often like I'd say a, a sports car, at least a, like an SUV, SUV would, right? Mm -hmm. has a stick instead of a yoke. Uh, 
I think mm -hmm. McDonnell Douglas built it that way and, and borrowed some of it from their F-18 and F-15s. So it's a very uh, well-flying aircraft, easy to fly. But what really matters is not that, it's the cargo area. It was designed with the input of many experienced loadmasters to be an incredibly performing aircraft uh, in its primary mission, which mm -hmm. is cargo delivery and aerial delivery, aerial uh, airdrop. Mm -hmm. So that is, is where it really shines in terms of being able to do its, its job well. Uh, in terms of uh, mission, well, I got to actually fly the first C-17 here to the museum. So the T-1 aircraft you see sitting over there at the Air Force Museum was our test aircraft for a number of years at a Edwards Air Force Base, really since the beginning of the program. Mm -hmm. And it was time to retire her, and uh, we brought her here, brought her into the, the runway, uh, decommissioned, and she sits over there now. Uh, so if you really want to see what it looks like full size, go to the museum, visit T1. Yeah. Uh, you'll see all the movies that aircraft was in. There's mm -hmm. uh, art on the movies, art on that from the different movies. But I, I think what is important to remember about the C-17 is we talk about how great an aircraft it was. Uh, it's a complicated aircraft, and w when it was first uh, designed and first built, it had all sorts of problems. And I think mm -hmm. many people in this organization here could tell you what some of those were and the challenges it was to develop that aircraft to be something we can't live without today. Mm -hmm. And I'd say probably the first five to ten years of its operational life, it had things that needed fixed. It needed upgrades along the way, uh, and it took a while to get there. So out the door, you got a good capability, but it needed to be iterated on uh, and improved over time. And that's just the nature of complicated things. It's the nature right. of feedback from our, our operators. Uh, but that's how you get to something that, in retrospect, you could never have lived without. So think about that when there's other complicated acquisition programs that, that out the gate need improvement. Uh, I think there's a history of that, that through good requirements development, uh, with good test, and then uh, operational input from the field, you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Are you going to get there right away? I don't know. Uh, hopefully we can reduce that cycle, get there faster through some digital engineering and other methods. But at some point, there's a point where you have to meet reality and then improve upon that reality to get there. So C-17, great story. There's a great book about it, about I think it's called Acquiring the C-17. It mm -hmm. talks about all the way back to the uh, YC-14, YC YC-15, some of the lessons that came out of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually developed into a desire to have a direct delivery platform where you can take off from the United States and deliver cargo direct to a, a short Australia airfield. Uh, and that evolved to be the C-17 as it is today. A fascinating story, but that's a that's a LCMC story. It right? is. Of, mm -hmm. of how you developed that, made it happen, and now you're sustaining it. Uh, right. Incredible platform. Privileged to get to fly it. And I know the, the program officers here that, that sustain it to this day are going to continue to make it better. And then that same lesson applies to all the other upcoming and current aircraft out there. So great work. Glad to be part of the team that, that built it. Uh, so, sir, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, before we close, is there anything you'd like to add just as a message to the to the workforce? Well, I just I just think big thank you, right? I appreciate everybody's time uh, helping me understand this very complex uh, organization. Uh, great people, great talent, but uh, if I ask you a lot of questions, it's just because I'm trying to learn and appreciate what you do. So overall, uh, gratitude, thankful to, for being here, and really appreciate the warm welcome from you and from many others for my family and I being here at Wright-Patterson. So thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center Leadership Log Podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed getting the chance to hear from our new vice commander and learn a little about his background and leadership style. If you haven't already done so, then please consider subscribing to this series, and don't forget to follow and like us on our social media platforms. You can also see a video version of this and all of our episodes on our YouTube channel. For more information on all things Air Force Lifecycle Management Center related, please visit and bookmark our website at www.aflcmc.af.mil. If you have an idea for a future episode on a topic that would interest the Lifecycle Management Center family, shoot us an email at aflcmc.pa.mediateam at us.af.mil. Until next time, stay strong, stay safe, and keep providing what warfighters need when they need it.